open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, where this morning we're going to be studying verses 1 through 12. And while you do that, uh, I want to let you know that it is a joy to be back here this morning. Uh, many of you know that we had a team that was out of the country for two weeks in Kenya. We got back late Friday night. I'll tell you, jet lag is real. Uh, 30 hours of flight, well, 30 hours of travel, 24 hours approximately of time in the air on a plane is not for the faint of heart. Uh, but God has been gracious to us. Many of us are here. Uh, we were planning on having the Kenya service this week where we were going to get our team to share with you uh, what we saw, what we experienced, what God's up to over there. Uh, we have several on our team that weren't going to be able to be here this morning, so we kind of switched. I was preaching this text next week, so we just swapped it. Uh, so next week we'll be able to do that. Uh, but uh, really looking forward to sharing with you uh, what we experienced as a team. And I'm excited to be back here uh, this week. And in light of our recent experiences while we were in Kenya, I think it's God's providence that we find ourselves here in this text as we look at the missionary experience in Acts chapter 13. This week we transition from our focus on Peter to our focus on Paul. We've already been introduced to Saul, the early persecutor of the church, and how Jesus intervened in his life and called him and said, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then called him into, the, into his ministry, to following him. We've already been introduced to him, and we saw that you know, Saul went and studied for two years to learn the faith, and is now we saw, we've seen him in the, in the church at Antioch. And with that transition from Peter to Paul, we also turn our attention to the latter half of Jesus' declaration in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll remind you of what that said. Jesus, speaking to his apostles, said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what we've seen uh, and what we kind of put out before you is if you were to look at that verse, it provides for us an outline of the book of Acts. So what we saw was, first, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came bringing that power. And then when you look at the second half of Acts chapter 2, all the way through verse cha uh, chapter 7, we see that this message of the gospel has gone out in all of Jerusalem. Following the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem, from Acts chapter 8 through 12, we now see the spreading of the gospel, leaving Jerusalem, going into the region of Judea and Samaria. And we were introduced somewhat with a foreshadowing of what would come as the gospel would make its way to the end of the earth as we were introduced to the church in Antioch in chapter 11. This week, we pick up in chapter 13. And it's here where we start to transition now to the end of the earth as we will join Paul along his missionary journey as he brings this gospel, called by Jesus Christ to bring it to the end of the earth, to people who might not otherwise hear it. In the opening verses of this transition in our text this morning, we see a picture of the missionary experience. As we see some called to go, some called to send, some open to the gospel, some opposed to the gospel, and some believe the gospel. Before we get into this, I want to make this very clear. Each week, every one of you participates 
in the going and the sending. As we get into this text, we're going to look at two people who were called to leave their church and go to a different location and go for a different work. But I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that they were already engaged in their mission field where they were in Antioch. And so were you. Each week you come to this place and you're equipped and you are sent. You go into your mission field. We exist to make much of God where? In our neighborhood, wherever we may find ourselves, and to the nations. So for some of us, each week we are sent. We go into our neighborhood to make much of God where he is. And as participants in the church, you also send each other. So you're going and sending each week. And the principles that we will see in this missionary experience are the same for all of us. Some are open to the gospel. Some are opposed to the gospel. And some believe the gospel. But we do also exist to make much of God to the nations. And so my prayer this, this morning is that we see this Missio Day, right? The mission of God in light of where we are today, but where God might be calling us to go tomorrow. And so I want to read our, our text this morning. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, would you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking you to sanctify your church in word and in truth. We know that your word is truth. Father, I pray this morning that we would remove all distractions, 
that you would remove anything that would keep us from hearing your word this morning. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you would call on some to go. I pray that you would convict some of us to be part of the sending. And I pray as we do go that you would open some to the gospel because only you can do that. I pray that you would grant us the ability to persevere in the midst of opposition, knowing that it's worth it because some will believe. Father, I pray this morning that you would teach from my lips by the power of your Spirit, Father, and that you would make Christ most attractive to us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. First, in verses 1 through 2, we see that some are called to go as part of the missionary experience. What we see in the very end of chapter 12 and verse 25 is that Saul and Barnabas have now returned to Antioch. If you remember, they were sent out to a relief mission trip to Judea. There was going to be a famine all over the world, and as much as they could, this church in Antioch gathered its resources and sent Saul and Barnabas to bring this. And so what we see in chapter 12, verse 25, is that Barnabas and Saul have now returned. And then we see a list, a description of the leadership of this church. And Blake has already mentioned this. Blake kind of skipped because it was important for us to see when we were looking at this church in Antioch, who made up this leadership group. But I'll remind you of some of the things he pointed out. Number one, they were a very diverse group of men. Number two, they were men that were committed to the word and to prayer. We see a list of these leaders. Barnabas first listed. Barnabas being the son of encouragement. And in fact, that's what he was. If you remember, Barnabas was the one that defended Saul's conversion in Jerusalem. This persecutor of the church who shows up after being converted and being convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and him wanting to follow him, no matter what the cost was, Barnabas was the one that went and defended him. Said, guys, look, I know it's crazy. I was scared too. But this conversion is real. Barnabas was also held in high esteem by the church. As they start hearing that the Gentiles are now encountering the Holy Spirit, who does the church send to confirm this? Barnabas. We see Simeon, who was called Niger. That literally means he was a dark-skinned man, likely from Africa. We see Lucius of Cyrene, another man from Africa, from North Africa. We see Menaean, a man who was raised in the same household as Herod. Likely, literally, when you look at the description of him, it was more than likely his foster brother. So he grew up in a wealthy surrounding. He was exposed to the upper class. And we see Saul. No introduction needed for him, this former persecutor who is now a Jewish Christian. And in verse 2, we see that the Holy Spirit calls. And the Holy Spirit calls while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. There's no indication here that this was a special meeting for these men. Which implies to us that this was a routine. That these five men who were leaders of this church at Antioch, this successful 
effective church in their day were committed to praying with one another, so may it be with us. That we would be committed to prayer. I know Blake talked about this last week, the power of prayer. When you see Peter in the prison, right? And what is his church doing for him? Praying day and night that God would deliver him to the point where brother has some peace and he's just sleeping the night of his, before his death. And God did just that. God heard their prayer and he answered. These men were committed to praying. And in the middle of this praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit calls and he says, Give me Saul and Barnabas for a different work. In the mission of God, the Missio Dei, some are called to go. I know this from personal, personal experience because that is how Natalie and I ended up here. In 2010, we felt like God was calling us to, to leave where we were engaged in a church in Baton Rouge, to come to Sulphur, Louisiana, to this community, to be a part of planning a church that would make God known to people who might not otherwise know him. And after four years of prayer, God finally allowed us to come. Our friends in India that we help support were set apart by the Holy Spirit for a work to be done there. This calling came through a class on world mission. And within a few years after intense training, they were on the ground in India. Bob and Julie Mendonca, the founders of Naomi's Village Children's Home and Cornerstone Preparatory, Preparatory Academy in Kenya, were called by the Holy Spirit to go there after years of short-term medical mission trips. I am completely confident that some in our church will be set apart by God for a different work than what's going on here. The timing and the place is unknown. I don't know who, I don't know where, and I don't know when. But I know that it will happen. That some of us will be called for a different work. The question I lay before you is, have, have any of us already been called to go? If so, I would encourage you to let that Make that known to your church so that we can pray with you, so that we can be a part of that with you. I also ask, have any of us even considered this as a possibility? Are any of us opposed to this idea? That's good for, for David and Natalie. That's good for Blake and Ashley, but no, not me. I'd encourage you to pray for your heart. Because this is the mission of God that we have been set apart for. We exist to make much of God in our neighborhood right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and to the nations. And in the mission of God, you don't get to choose where that happens. He does. And it's his mission. And you are his missionary. In the missionary experience, some are called to go, and others are called to send. If you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I find the response to this to be really impressive. 
Luke doesn't record all the emotions experienced in this group, but it really isn't that difficult to imagine. For all involved, Saul, Barnabas, the church at Antioch, there would likely have been mixed emotions. Sadness and the separation of friends and family members of this church. Excitement in knowing that they were following in obedience the will of God and that he would do great things through them. Fear in the unknown future as this church surrenders two of its most effective leaders. 40% of their pastors are called by God to go and leave that church. And these two men go into a world that is hostile to Jesus Christ and his gospel. What Luke does record is their commitment to community, prayer, and obedience. This is important to point out that Saul and Barnabas don't go into the mission field isolated from their church community. They don't just say, hey guys, we're going in the mission field, we'll see y'all later. But what we find them doing is uniting themselves in prayer and in fasting with their church. This church was committed to one another and to the mission of God. So when God calls Saul and Barnabas to go, we find them united in prayer. And then following this time of unity and prayer and fasting for the success of the mission, the Antioch church followed in obedience and let them go. They sent them. I've been a part of that. I know Blake and Ashley have. Some of you might have. It's really difficult. I actually preached Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, our last Sunday at Central Bible Church. And I remember that emotion. For four years, I had been a part of this church family that took me, gave me a chance, recognized my spiritual giftedness, and allowed me to exercise that gift when nobody else, when the large institutional church that I grew up in would not do that. And I grew tremendously because I was able to exercise the gift given to me by the Holy Spirit. It was hard to leave. But we knew that this is what we were called to. And I'm reminded of that still four years later now that we've been here that God was at work here. And there is no doubt in my mind that we are right where we should be. And it was done in God's timing. In the mission of God, some are called to send, much like the church at Antioch. You see, the Holy Spirit called upon the church to, to set apart Paul and Barnabas. You see that, right? In verse 2, it says, set apart for me. He's, he's addressing the church. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for a work that I have already called them to. So he called them, but he also called the church to send them. This is something our church should also prepare for. Because when God does call on someone in our church to go, it will undoubtedly be key people. People who are engaged in ministry, just like he did at that church at Antioch. I don't know who it will be. But what I don't see is God calling that person in that church that just shows up once a week and is not united in community, is not part of the mission movement. They're just kind of 
taking a back seat to whatever's going on. I see God calling people who have already surrendered their lives to his mission right where they are. And he says, good and faithful servant, I'm going to call you to go somewhere else to do this. So as a church, we should prepare ourselves. Key people in our church will be called to go one day. So prepare yourselves. Don't be surprised when you're called by God to send some from this body. And until then, we pray for that day. And we support those that are connected to our church that have already gone. And we pray expectantly for the time that he will call some from this church. In the missionary experience, we also see that some are open to the gospel, as we see in verses 4 through 7. Having been sent by the Holy Spirit, Saul and Barnabas go down to Seleucia. This was the port of Antioch, on the western side of Antioch. And they sail to, to Salamis, the eastern port of the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. This is where Barnabas was from. Good starting point for this missionary journey. Something a little familiar. There's still a heavy Jewish presence there. And that's exactly where they go, right? When they get there, where do they preach the gospel first? In the Jewish synagogues. This was the practice of Paul throughout his ministry. When you read Romans 1.16, what, what does Paul say? I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He uses this pattern again in, in Romans chapter 2, and we see this throughout his missionary journey. He's going to go to the Jews first. But then he goes to the Greek, to the Roman, to the Gentiles. We also find here that John Mark has joined them <coughs> on this missionary journey. After he accompanied them on their return trip from Judea, from that mission trip that they went on, bringing relief, John Mark has joined them, albeit for a brief time. As the three men traveled the 90-mile trek, Across the island, preaching the gospel in the synagogues, synagogues, they reach Paphos. This is a Greek city known for its pagan ways. The worship of Aphrodite. Large festivals annually. Committed to worshiping this Greek goddess of love. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and it is here that they come upon two men. One of them is Bar-Jesus a man whose name means son of the Messiah or son of salvation, but is described by Luke as a Jewish false prophet. The other is the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man who is the Roman governor of Cyprus, who is described as an intelligent man. It was this man that summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. Kind of an unlikely person to do that. <clears throat> Sorry. In the missionary experience, we, we will find that some, some people, God has already begun to work on their heart, and they are open to the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised, whether it be the marginalized, the least of all mankind, or the powerful and influential people, just like this man. Because God desires all types of people to be saved. 
and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When this happens, praise the Lord. In your missionary experience, when you come across somebody open to hearing the words of truth, the gospel message, praise the Lord, because that is something only he can do. Naturally, we are completely opposed to that. We don't want to hear anything about that. So the sign that God is already at work is that person being open. Now, while some may be open, some, if not most, will be opposed. We see Bar-Jesus or Elamas. Literally means sorcerer. He opposed Saul and Barnabas. Whether his motive was pride or to retain his, his material um, well-being, it, it's unclear. But he sought to turn this Roman governor away from the faith. Recognizing that this encounter was a spiritual war with the eternal soul of this proconsul at stake, Saul, or as he is introduced here for the first time by his Greek name, Paul, will not allow this son of Satan to go on without a fight. He directs his counterattack on Bar-Jesus and declares that he is the son of the devil, despite what his name might imply. And that he is not a righteous prophet, but is unrighteous. He's an unrighteous liar and deceiver, a man who perverts the ways of God as he makes the straight paths crooked, harder to travel. He then performs a miracle in the form of a temporary curse of blindness on this man, a physical manifestation of the spiritual reality that already exists in this false prophet. The fact that this was only for a time is only by the mercy of God. Immediately, the man who is unable to see spiritual truth is blinded physically. The lover of the dark finds himself in physical darkness. The one who fought to retain his position in society so that man would depend on him now finds himself depending on others to lead him by the hand. And throughout our study of Acts, we have seen much of this opposition. And Blake has repeatedly pointed us to the picture of us stepping on that spider and all of its little babies spreading. And that's what we see is through opposition, the kingdom still advances. And that's what happened here. We should expect opposition as we go out declaring and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the mission of God, some will be opposed to the gospel. And when they are, let's pray that we would realize, like Paul, that we are at war. That there is an enemy, and it is not man, but it is Satan. And as soldiers at war, we should fight with the word of truth a weapon sharper than any other, and do so boldly. Let's also pray that we place a high value on that stranger that we may come across who is open to the gospel and be willing to lay down our lives for that soul. Because when we fight the opposition, we might find some who believe the gospel. It's another part of the missionary experience. We see in verse 12 of chapter 13 that the proconsul believed. This man who was open to hearing the good news believed when he saw this miracle, but not because of the miracle. This miracle authenticated the message of the messengers Paul and Barnabas, 
and he was astonished. What does it say he was astonished at? Not the miracle, but he was astonished at the teaching of the word. Belief occurs only when the gospel word is proclaimed. The missionary experience is a full one. It begins with, in the course of a regular day, worshiping and fasting, praying to the Lord, the Holy Spirit interrupting and saying, all right, I need you. I've called you to something different. And then there's the emotional experience of, of the actual going into the unknown, trusting in, in God's providence and his provision for you, trusting in his will. And as a church that would be one to sin, trusting that God is going to protect them and that God's doing something and we get to be a part of that in our sending and that we're going to be okay too, that we're willing to give up the very most effective people that are leaders in our church, we'd be willing to do that for the sake of the mission of God. There's going to be some who are open, some who are opposed, but it's worth it because some will believe. A few points of application for us this morning. We exist to make much of God in our neighborhood and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. For us to accomplish this mission statement of Sulphur Community Church, some will go to the nations and make that their neighborhood. And when they go as missionaries, they will be reflecting Jesus Christ because the missionary experience is glorifying to God because it glorifies the Son, the one who went on the greatest missionary journey ever. He submitted himself to the will of his Father in going to this earth, taking on flesh, coming to accomplish the work that he had been set apart for. He found some who were open to this message of good news that he brought. He found some who opposed him to the point of killing him on the cross. He also found some who believed and were granted eternal life. If you are here this morning and you have not believed in this saving work of Jesus Christ, I ask you to do that this morning. That is your point of application this morning. Hear these words proclaimed and believe. Because you see, Paul didn't just allow the false prophet to be comfortable in his opposition to the truth by making a statement akin to the postmodernist view of relative truth. He didn't stop at, okay, well, you and I have a difference of opinion, so it's okay for you to believe that, but I'm going to believe this, and, and we're, we're still good. He didn't do that because what we believe in matters. And he knew that there was a soul at stake. There is a truth, and the truth is that God is perfectly holy. And as his created beings, created in his image, mind you, he has commanded us to be holy as he is holy. But we're not. So the penalty for our sinful nature and action is death. But Christ paid that penalty. He became our sin, and he covers us with his righteousness. Then he rose from the grave, proving that he had defeated sin, that he had defeated death, and he proved his deity. He had fully satisfied the eternal penalty that sin requires. Believe that he did that for you. 
Trust in that work for salvation this morning. Call on the name of the Lord, and if you do, you shall be saved. To the church, for those that have believed, there's one more point of application for you. Romans chapter 10. Paul, later on in his life, wrote these words. 10 verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Will you go? Are you open to that? For the sake of the mission of God, are you willing to go? Church, are you willing to send? Are you willing to send your son or your daughter? Are you willing to send your best friend? Are you willing to send your pastors for the sake of the mission of God? How will they believe in what they have not heard? How will they hear unless someone is preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? This is all a part of God's plan and part of his mission that he has given his church. Will you go? Will you send? Because the time is coming when God will call on us to do so. Prepare yourself to be obedient no matter the cost. The cost of people or the cost of our resources. And in our obedience, God will be made much of. His beautiful glory will be made visible. And his mission will be accomplished. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great love that you have shown us. This deep love expressed in the sending of your son and his willingness to go. To proclaim the good news. Father, thank you for opening us up to hearing this word and giving us the ability to respond in faith and belief. And as believers, Father, who, who desire to reflect your Son on this earth, I pray that we would also be willing to go and that we would be willing to send. As we leave this place this morning, I pray that we go with the missionary experience in mind that we exist to make much of you right where we are in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces. That that would be the desire of our heart continually. That we would commit ourselves to doing that. And when the time comes, Father, where you will call on some to go for a different work, I pray that we would respond much like this church in Antioch. Sure, mixed emotions. But committed to one another and to your mission. Father, I pray 
that you would do that, that you would call on some in our church to go. And that you would work all things out for your glory in their going. I pray that you would begin to open up our our eyes to see that where we would go, when we would go, who would go. I pray that you would call some of us to the nations, to people who otherwise might not hear your word proclaimed. And as obedient servants of our King, we would follow. And as we do, Father, you would be honored, that you would be glorified, you would be made known. We surrender ourselves to you and to your mission. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.